Hi, and welcome to Cause Pods. I'm your host, Matthew Passy. Here on the podcast, we have one simple mission to highlight the amazing folks who are using podcasts as a way to raise awareness for good causes, whether it's a nonprofit they work with, a charity they support, a social justice campaign they're championing, a medical condition they're battling, or someone who is just looking to make a positive impact on their local community, their state, the country, or the world. These are podcasters with a positive mission. Along with raising awareness for our guest's favorite cause, we're also going to see if we can raise some money to support their efforts. So make sure you check out the show notes for each episode at causepods.org to learn more about what they're doing and how to help them achieve their goals. Taking you down to Atlanta, Georgia today, we are chatting with Matt Shedd. He is host and producer of the Stories of Recovery podcast, all about alcoholism, addiction, and 12-step spirituality. He is also the communication specialist for the Mar Addiction Treatment Centers in Atlanta. And as you can imagine, that podcast is part of those centers. Matt, thank you so much for joining us here on CausePods today. Thanks for having me, Matthew. Well, so, I mean, I guess my usual opening salvo, my opening question is always, why the podcast? But because you work at an addiction and treatment center, it makes perfect sense that you would do a podcast about addiction and treatment. So let's start in a slightly different place. Tell us a little bit about what Mar does and then why Mar decided that a podcast was a good way to get some messaging out there, tell stories, connect with the community. Like, what really was the impetus for Mar having a podcast? Great question, and thanks so much for having me. So Mar has been in Atlanta. We're a nonprofit treatment center. We're one of the few left of our size. There's some small nonprofits here and there that are associated with churches. and But of our size, we have four different centers, or four different programs, rather. And we were started in 1975, so we're over 45 years old at this point. So we've been here a while and been a part of the community, and we've got a really strong alumni base. So when people come through Mar, they and they stay sober afterwards, a lot of them have a really strong connection, and they come back and volunteer on a regular basis. They stay involved. They stay in touch with their counselors. I think it's because it very much has that kind of family, nonprofit sort of feel. And so there's people that have came through Mar 30, 40 years ago that still come back every year for our banquet, that'll still come to groups and things like that here. So we've got this really strong alumni network that really wants to wanted to stay connected. So before I started doing the podcast, I was actually in admissions. So I was working as a clinician, answering the phones, talking to family members and people struggling with addiction and their family members that are trying to get them into treatment and kind of talking them through that process and doing clinical assessments, getting the stories of people that needed help. And I had a background. I'd worked in public radio and I'd done podcasts. I worked at the Peabody Awards at the University of Georgia, based out of the University of Georgia. So I had some experience doing podcasts and then doing interviews. And it just kind of occurred to me during that time that these stories, if we could get them onto a podcast, it would allow people that are calling in crisis mode a chance to really sit down listen, hear, you know, what a great experience these people had in treatment. Because I was in the tough position of trying to to relay 
you know, I'd been here for a minute. And so I'd seen all these great stories and people that had come through here and stayed sober and felt like this place changed their life and that they were part of a family here. And that seeing that carry on for decades, sometimes even after treatment was over. And so trying to communicate that to someone in a five minute phone call when they're kind of in crisis and stressed out, understandably so, and just trying to find, you know, make sure their loved one is safe or make sure they're safe is really tough. And so I, you know, I had this kind of skill set in the back of my head that I'd used before. And I wasn't sure if I wanted to do it because I was enjoying the admissions work. But word got around to our chief information officer, David Tate, that I had done this in the past, and he grabbed hold of it, and he was really excited. He saw the possibilities for it, and he said, we need to do this. He came and and kind of convinced me. So I had the thought kind of in the back of my head, but he really kind of grabbed me and said, no, I think this is the piece that's missing. And it worked so well because of the anonymity piece. So basically, most of the time I talk to people that have come through treatment here about their experience in treatment, and it'll be like 30 to 45 minutes or so. And then what their life's been like afterwards, you get this nice arc of what recovery actually looks like from people who've had a good experience in it. But it's kind of at this leisurely pace. That was kind of the impetus that We wanted family members who are thinking about sending their loved ones here to have an opportunity to just sit with people whose lives have been changed by being in recovery and to see that whatever they were expecting out of treatment, it probably wasn't what they were expecting. And to also kind of destigmatize the process and make it more accessible. It's interesting because so many times that I talk to folks on the show and they're trying to reach a target market with useful information and unfortunately... It's hard to get information into the hands of people before they need it, right? It's always after they've come down with some sort of chronic illness, some sort of diagnosis, after they've faced some sort of traumatic event. These podcasts have this goal of trying to be somewhat preventative, but unless you're being impacted by it, the likelihood of you wanting to listen to a podcast about that is right not very mm-hmm. high but right. you you sort of have addressed that by not really targeting the patient but by targeting the families who would want to have their patient in there you kind of have that time and that ability to sort of use this as an effective marketing vehicle is that that sound right about what you're saying yes yes absolutely that's generally the primary audience is family members who because usually at that point the person needing treatment has burned through whatever resources they have because of their addiction. And then also a lot of times because of denial, they're just very resistant to treatment. So it'll be a lot of times these resources are addressing the family members. However, I will say that's not always the case. Like this last week, we had a really rewarding phone call just out of nowhere. A woman from the UK called our admissions department, and she's kind of currently in the grips of her illness of an addiction and kind of wrestling with, should I get help or not? She said she listened to every podcast episode three times. She recognized the person who answered the phone from being on the podcast. You know, it was really cool. We do want to reach the people that are kind of on the edge too. And like, do I have a problem? Do I need help? But I think the primary audience really is family members. And then also along those lines too, we talk a lot about how addiction is a family disease. That's kind of the approach that we take here at our treatment center, where we have a separate family program that works specifically with 
the family member's clients. So when a client comes here, they have their counselors and their groups, but then the family members have the separate family counselor that only deals with them and doesn't deal with the client as much because the way that the addiction affects the whole family dynamics, the family symptoms really start to mirror the addict's symptoms. So a lot of the same sort of sneaking, hiding, covering up behavior, doing things that you're ashamed of that you wouldn't normally do because of the, you know, just the intense kind of pressure of being in a system controlled by a substance. So anyways, that said, we also address that quite a bit. We talk to family members sometimes too on the podcast and family counselors and things like that and interventionists to kind of help normalize the process and help them see that hopefully their loved one will get help and get better. But regardless of that, they have the capability to get help and get better and get into their own recovery because they've been traumatized and victimized by this disease just like their loved one has. You know, because you're using this as part of an auxiliary outreach mechanism, have you found any complications or struggles of getting people to listen to a podcast? For instance, one like, hey, thanks for checking us out. Instead of read this brochure, listen to this podcast. One, are they actually doing it? Or two, do you get a lot of, oh, I've heard of a podcast, but how do I do that? Does that come up a lot? That does come up a lot. We've had pretty good results just from using our traditional kind of outreach methods. So we've got a text messaging list of about 450 people who get a text message every time a podcast goes out. We have a mailing list that we send out. You know, we update people every month on our new resources and podcasts are always included in that along with events and articles and things like that. So I think a lot of the people that are finding out about the podcast that way aren't usually typically podcast listeners. But to your question, too, of there has been an education process for a lot of those people, too, like they didn't know because they're alumni of Mar and maybe they're in their 60s or or maybe even older, and they want to stay connected to Mar and they want to hear these stories, but they've never listened to a podcast before, like you're saying. So there's been a little bit of an education process in terms of helping people access it. And so to help with that, we always just provide the link directly to our website because a lot of people listen, stream it through the website. In addition to that, though, like this woman I was telling you about from the UK, she found us just through searching alcoholism, I think, on Spotify. So we're getting some people like that. Does that answer your question? I think it's basically like the people that were already loyal to our brand and want to stay connected. Not a lot of them listen to podcasts, so there has been a little bit of a barrier, but I think we've kind of gotten over it and people have found ways to access it on a regular basis. Gotcha. So what about... You know, I know you said you you sort of had experience in this field. Why did you think that this was such an effective way of telling those stories versus other forms of media and other ways of connecting to the audience? Like, what is it specifically about podcasts that this made sense? That's a great question, Matthew. You know, some of my best experiences listening to podcasts are like on long drives or when I'm on a run and I have time where I can just kind of settle in and I'm usually doing something else. You know, I'm usually driving or washing the dishes or, or exercising. And I think the, you know, just the long form narrative of a one-on-one -on -one interview, it lended itself really well to really having a person's personality come through, having them be able to relate these all the kind of ups and downs, because there's a lot of emotion, you know, not just 
in terms of getting into recovery. But even once a person's in recovery, the challenges that they experience here while they're in treatment, and then the challenges of transitioning kind of back into their normal life, there's just a lot of ups and downs in every person's journey, you know, although there may be a kind of general arc that we can recognize from story to story, every person's journey is is pretty unique. And so it takes some time to kind of let that unravel and to really get to sit with the person and kind of let their energy or their spirit communicate to the listener. So anyways, for all those reasons, I just felt like I had enjoyed so much sitting down with these people that were in long-term recovery and hearing about their experiences in groups and and what their life was like now that I knew that if we could just get those people to sit with people in the car when they're on a road trip or sit with them while they're doing the dishes and kind of just talk. Of course, I do a little bit of editing, but I don't really have to even do that much editing because these people are so in touch. For them, these are kind of the moments where they came back from the dead. These stories are very alive to them. And so I knew if just given the podcast provided kind of that window of time where you could really sit and get to know the person and see the whole story unravel. Whereas in a video where you have to, you know, if people are sitting at their computers watching it, you know, you have to make it pretty quick and concise and it just didn't lend itself as much to to really getting to know the person. And, and I felt like that was really essential. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Have you found that the world that we're living in today with a pandemic, with people not traveling as much, working as much, whatever, have you felt an impact on listenership or, I mean, maybe conversely because there's so much stress and maybe more people are struggling, maybe you you are seeing a pickup in connections and, and things like that as a result. So I'm just curious how you feel that the pandemic is impacting specifically the podcast uh, consumption itself. Yeah, absolutely. Good question. I think it's actually helped in terms of download numbers. I saw a little bit of a spike kind of starting in April in terms of numbers. And I think people have more time, I'm guessing, and then also just might be kind of exploring different media options than they had been before. So I've seen it kind of increase. I mean, not really dramatically, but there's been a little bit of an uptick. Okay. So what about advice for others that are looking to start a podcast. Like, yes, this is for a excellent cause, but you've got some backing, right? You've got some support, but what were any of the big hiccups that you ran into and maybe some advice that you would give to other podcasters looking to create something that might not have the experience or might not have the same support that, that you've been getting? Oh yeah. That's another good question. For me, the biggest thing was making sure that these conversations were interesting to me. You know, I wasn't willing to dive into this really until I had gotten to know the subject matter well enough and I knew that I had a big pool of guests that I could easily kind of pull from. I was really interested in having these conversations and hearing these stories. So I guess basically what I'm trying to say is like, make sure it's really interesting to you make sure it's something that you're enthusiastic about that you want you're curious about i think that's what translates and has led to the success that we've had is that it's it's just something that i'm genuinely interested in and i want to sit and hear these stories in terms of the more technical parts of it i would say i got a lot of help from people like the chief information officer here even if you don't have a backing of an organization i think just finding someone with a, a little bit of knowledge 
who'd be willing to help you out in terms of showing you which mics to buy, the basics of how to use the recording and editing software, and then finding resources like this. I mean, there's just so much online, and this is such a growing, burgeoning field. There's a lot out there. Um, and you don't have to kind of reinvent the wheel all on your own. Early on, I could have been more efficient in doing research from people that had kind of traveled further down this road. And, and I've kind of learned that through some difficulties of just like whatever experience that I'm using, you know, even like the platform we're using right now, Squadcast, I found some people that were in podcasting and asked them how they've been doing remote recording. And then they told me about Squadcast. So anyways, all that to say, make sure that it's something you're really enthusiastic and excited about because that'll carry over and then seek the advice of people who are willing to help and who know a little bit about the technical aspect of it and sponsorship and things like that and advertising. That's something we're just starting to explore. I don't think we'd ever have ads on our show, but I know that that's another area where revenue could potentially help podcasts. I mean, I think that's all great advice. And yeah, you know, everybody's situation is a little bit different. But the one thing that you said at the beginning that I think is so important for every type of podcast is that sense of curiosity and that sense of doing the show that you want to do, right? I think we oftentimes try so hard to create a show that we think everyone is going to like. Yeah. And when you try to please everyone, you wind up pleasing no one. Yes. But if you know exactly what it is that you want to hear, that you think is interesting, there has got to be an audience out there that is going to agree with you, especially when it comes to curiosity. If you're discovering something new, there's probably somebody else discovering something new too, right? If the answer was already out there, you'd be listening to that, not creating, not trying to find it. That's absolutely right. And yeah, it's like I go into every interview like excited because I don't know that's the other thing. If you have the ability and the time to do this in terms of resources, but just to be open to letting the conversation just go for a while and knowing that you might need to edit later or whatever, because I really try and keep my eye open and just go down tangents. But when I see someone's interest really spark and their eyes kind of light up and it's like, oh, let's go and then ask more questions. That's been kind of a big rule of thumb for me that, you know, I'll have a general idea of what I want to talk about, but I don't come with a rigid plan into the interview. I kind of wait and let the person's enthusiasm and then my enthusiasm to kind of guide where we end up going in the conversation. Sometimes they'll be talking about a struggle that I've been thinking about too in in terms of psychological or emotional, spiritual kind of development or whatever, or just things that I've seen in my years working here that I'll want to comment on. And then that kind of enthusiasm will feed each other. I think the best thing is when I can get to a place where we both kind of forget that we're recording, <laughs> then we got something, you know, and then I can just kind of go to that when we're editing and work around it. That's the goal right there. That's really where we want to get to is where we both kind of forget that we're recording and we're just having a really engaged conversation and kind of build it around that. Because then when you get the listener there, then they pick up on that enthusiasm too. Yeah. I love the way you say that. So normally I would ask you all about your charity that we're supporting here, but the charity is in fact the Mar Addiction Treatment Center. But quickly tell us, you know, what does it mean to donate to the Mar Addiction Treatment Center? And, you know, what does that support help you guys do with your mission? A large amount of the donations go, and, and something we've been 
explicitly raising money for recently is scholarships because we're a nonprofit organization and we do work some with insurance companies. But a lot of times, you know, treatment is just expensive. It takes a lot of resources, especially if they're going to do treatment for a longer period of time, which is what a lot of people need because we're talking, in many cases, we're talking about decades of being dependent on a substance. In a lot of cases, a few weeks of, you know, good habits or whatever insurance can cover, that's not going to cut it. You're going to really need to put in the time and the work to really build better habits for going forward and not depending on this thing that's become kind of your reliable coping mechanism for decades. So anyways, all that to say, treatment can be expensive. We try to keep it as, as low as we can. We're a nonprofit, but we do offer scholarships to our clients on a as-needed basis. So a lot of the donations that we get go directly to that scholarship fund. So uh, yeah, I mean, I think last year in 2019, donations to our scholarship fund helped us put 56 people through treatment. Now, it didn't cover all of their tuition for all 56 of those people, but 56 people had money from that scholarship fund that people had donated over the years to help them supplement the cost of treatment. So that's what we've been explicitly kind of raising money for in these last couple campaigns. Folks, if you are hearing this and I mean, especially one, if you're in the Atlanta area, of course, but anybody hearing this knows the struggles that are happening right now, how many people are falling into difficult times and turning to substances and abusing them and, you know, having all sorts of issues. This is certainly a tricky time. And if you have the resources, if you have the extra money laying around and you want to help to make a difference in somebody's life, we would encourage you to check out the link. We'll have a link in the show notes here or go to their website, marrrinc.org, and the donate link is right there. Help them out. Help make a difference in someone's life. And in the meantime, check out their podcast, Stories of Recovery, Alcoholism, Addiction, and the 12-Step Spirituality, which, of course, we will have links to them on Apple, Google, Spotify, all places where you enjoy podcasts and their social media. And just want to take a moment and again say, Matt, thank you so much for taking time to share with your story here on CausePods. Thanks so much, Matthew. It's really been a pleasure. And one quick thing I wanted to add, if people were interested in learning more about recovery or they have a family member, they want some resources, I just want to let you guys know that we've got through our website, you can sign up for our magazine called New Meanings Magazine, and we'll send out two free magazines a year to your mailbox. So you can sign up for that through our website and just put in your address and we'll get that out to you. And we also have books for sale through our store as well. And we'll be sure to put a link directly to the magazine right there in the show notes. Matt Shedd, thanks again for joining us. Thank you so much, Matthew. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of Cause Pods. Again, if you've been inspired by the work of our guests, please check out the show notes in your podcast app or at causepods.org. There you will find links to their work and a special donation link to support their favorite efforts. From there, you can also follow and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you enjoy your podcasts. And remember, if you have a Cause Pod and want to join me for an interview, please check out causepods.org and fill out the interview request form. If approved, we'll schedule you for a chat and share the amazing work you're doing with the CausePod audience. Thanks again, and see you next time on CausePods. Pods.